Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Coming to the tail end of the series of One Big Happy Family. T- turn to somebody, give them a high five, tell them it's almost over. It's almost over. We're coming in, we're bringing in for a landing in December. We got one or two more for you, but um, it's been good to talk about the family and what God's doing in the family and some of the things to avoid in our families, amen? Some of the things to stay away from. And uh, this morning, I want to start off with a story uh, from when I was really young, really, really young. And it's actually one of my earliest childhood memories. And I was around the age of four. And I don't remember much from the age four. How many of you do? Some of you can recall back that far. One of you. All right. I feel, I'm feeling okay. Uh, you know, uh, but I was only about four years old. And uh, one of my memories, and it was, I think it was just kind of a little bit dramatic, but not terribly. But I remember being in a field, out in a field area with my mom and with my dad and my twin sister, Karen. And uh, I'm a twin, fraternal twin, and, and we were all there. And I remember my dad being over close to this tree, and somebody else was there, and I don't know who it was. Uh, I'm going off of my memory. I didn't call to confirm with my mom or my dad on this, but I, I remember them cutting down this tree. And we were standing there watching them. How many know it's fun to watch somebody cut a tree down? I don't know why, but it is. And we were watching them cut this tree down, and, and it was supposed to fall one direction. But once they, that tree started to go, it, it went the wrong direction. It actually went towards where my mom was standing. And at the time, my mom was pregnant with my uh, younger sister, Lisa. And uh, there's a four-year, four-year gap between us. And I remember my mom taking off running, and all of us kind of scattered um, from this tree that was falling towards her. And, and instead of running away from the tree, she got confused and ran towards where this tree was going to fall. And, and she ran that direction, and of course, everybody, as this tree starts to fall, and you know, I don't think I did much of anything. I don't even remember running, honestly. I don't know if I just stood still what I did exactly. But uh, the tree fell, and my mom collided with just the end of those branches that knocked her to the ground. And fortunately, she was okay. Um, she, didn't, she didn't hurt anything. She did, my, my sister is perfectly fine as far as I can tell. You know, uh, she was fine as well. And, and everything turned out all right. And, and, but it could have been much, much worse. It, you know, if she if she'd have kept moving towards the thing that she should have been running from, she could have been seriously injured or killed. And it is sometimes in the confusion in our own personal lives and, and actually in our families that we tend to run towards the very thing that we should be running away from. We move towards that. And in Scripture, there's a young man named Samson. Say Samson. That's who we're talking about this morning. Samson is one of these people who ran towards what he should have been running away from. God God wanted him to go one direction, and he ended up going exact opposite direction God was telling him. So if you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Judges. We're going into the Old Testament, Judges chapter 13, and and we're going to um, continue on. It's Christmas. It's about the family. Judges chapter 13, we want to get to Samson, and while you're turning or as you're getting there in your Bible or on your electronic device, we want to take a moment and just pray over God's word. 
Father, we thank you for this time at Christmas. Lord, where we um, focus first on you. And God, even now we're going to continue to talk about families. And Lord, I pray, God, that your hand would be upon this word that goes forth. God, as your word goes forth, I pray, God, that it would penetrate hearts and minds. And Lord, God, that it would change us. Lord, that we might follow you fully and wholly in ourselves. And God, we just give you glory and praise for the day, for the month and the celebration that's coming up to celebrate Jesus. And we give you glory today. In Jesus' name we pray this. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Judges 13, you're there. Judges 13, all right. If you're listening online, I hope you're there as well. Judges 13, one says this, starting with verse one. And again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Now, in this particular passage of Scripture, Israel is doing evil in God's sight. And normally when it talks about Israel doing evil in God's sight in the Old Testament, they had this repetitive sin that they would get involved in. They would get involved in idol worship. They had pagan nations around them, and they would worship idols of wood or of stone. And for some reason, Israel would begin to forget about God, and they would begin to get caught up in the same kind of things. They'd be worshiping idols. And God, in an effort to get them straightened up in their thinking and to get them looking back to him, he many times would, would take his hand off of them. And, and their protection, God's protection would pull off of them, and he would allow another nation to come in and take them over. They would get be taken by another nation, and they would take it, they'd be taken into captivity. How many know captivity can help you think about things? It can. My, my parents used to do this, actually. You know, when I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing, I got grounded. Anybody ever get grounded in life, all right? If you got grounded, that's captivity, right? Your parents said, you're not going here, you're not going there, you're staying at home. For the next week, for the next two weeks, for the next three weeks, you are captive. And, and their hope is that you actually think about a few things while you're stuck at home with them, right? That's captivity. We still do. do they still have detention in school? Yes? Okay. <laughs> a couple of thumbs up from the teenagers. Yep. Still there. Okay. <laughs> detention is captivity, right? They keep you after school. You get captive for longer. And it's an effort to help you change your attitude, change your actions, all those kinds. Of, that's exactly what God did with Israel. He would allow them to be taken. So it would change. So in this first verse, um, God lets the, the Philistines come in and invade Israel and take Israel over, and, he, and they're oppressed for 40 years, literally a Jewish generation, 40 years. And, and, and it says this in verse 2. In those days, uh, now, they're under the thumb of the Philistines, and God's getting ready to unfold a plan to bring them out of this, to get them out of this rule, to get them out from underneath this oppression. It says, in those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been uh, unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. And a birth takes place. An announcement to Manoah's wife. An angel of the Lord comes and says that you are going to have a son. You weren't able to have children, but now you're going to have a son. And their son will be the one who will begin the rescue of the Israelites from Philistine, from the Philistines. 
God uses their son, who is Samson, to set Israel free. Samson would begin to lead the rebellion against their oppressors. He would be the one that would begin to, to walk them out, to eliminate the oppression in their life um, after these four decades uh, of having the, the Philistines' thumb on, uh, on their necks or their, their foot on their necks. Uh, he was the hope. And, and this would be Samson's calling. This would be his life's work. Before he was even born, God said, this is what you're going to be. And, and he was so marked for this. He was so set aside for this. He was so sanctified for this that he said, I want you to take a Nazarite vow. Now, a Nazarite vow uh, was a vow that included three things. One, it was abstinence from wine or strong drink. Two, was for refraining from cutting your hair. And the third thing was that you didn't touch dead things. Something was dead, you didn't touch it. Those were the th three things. And a lot of times with the Nazarite vow, what would happen is somebody would be, they would take a time and they would consecrate themselves to God and they would take a Nazarite vow. They wouldn't cut their hair, they wouldn't drink any strong drink, and, and they would avoid touching dead things. And it was a way of setting aside and being sanctified to God. And God instructed, this angel instructs uh, Manoah's wife, first of all, to do this the entire time she's pregnant. And then she said, your son is going to do this for life. This is what sets him aside. This is what marks him. And as long as he, as he follows this vow, as long as he does what I'm telling him to do, God did something special in Samson. He gave Samson, and we don't see this anywhere else in Scripture, he gave Samson um, supernatural strength. When the Holy Spirit would come on Samson, it said that in his word, when the Holy Spirit would come upon Samson, Samson would get superhuman strength. Um, he would, uh, sorry, my watch is talking to me. It's preaching around. I'm like, somebody's preaching back to me. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, and he would get this superhuman strength that would come by the power of God. The Holy Spirit would come upon him, and no one could stop him. When, when this took place, when, when the power of God would hit him, he looked like every other man probably. Uh, I know we always see the pictures, right? He's all muscle-bound, but he looked like every other man. But when the Spirit of God would come upon him, you couldn't bind this warrior. You couldn't, you couldn't capture this warrior. You couldn't overpower this warrior. You couldn't stop him. He physically could not be stopped. He was like, like a God-ordained superman. And God moved him. And you can go into chapter 15. You can go, you can flip ahead and read into chapter 15. At one point, a thousand Philistines come against him, a thousand Philistine warriors. And all he's got to fight with is the jawbone of a donkey, a dried out jawbone. And he takes, he slays a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey because the spirit of God is upon him. There's probably a message right there. And he does. But the problem is, is Samson has a bad habit of moving towards the thing that God is actually trying to move them away from. He has this, this bad um, theology of cuddling up to what God is trying to move them away from, what God is trying to get them away from. Samson seems to move towards, and a lot of times he cuddles up with. And in chapter 14, we begin to see this. In chapter 14, verse 1, we begin to see this unfold in his life. We start to see hints of this. Actually, more than a hint with this. It says this in chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Samson went down to Timnah. Say Sim Timnah. Timnah, okay? Where a Philistine girl, <laughs> all right, a girl got involved. Here's a, here's a problem right off the bat, right? Where a Philistine girl caught his eye. And when he got home, he told his father and mother, a Philistine girl in Timnah has caught my eye. No, now go get her from my wife. Samson wants to get married. And not to a nice Jewish girl, right? Not to a nice girl, maybe with an outside nation. 
Oh, no, no, no. He decides that he's going to marry the enemy. He decides that he's going to go into the enemy's camp and, and, and he's going to yoke up with a, a female, with a young lady from the Philistine camp. And, and how many know uh, when you're going to make a major decision in life, you should not just trust your eyes? You should not. Young men, listen to me. You should not just trust your eyes when you're going to make it. You should engage your brain. That gray stuff God put between your ears. Six inches between your ears. My parents used to talk about that, right? The gray matter between the six inches and between your ears. You should engage that. You should seek out some good godly wisdom. You should find some people that know what they're talking about, that have been there, right? That know about these things. And most of all, you should seek God, but not Samson. He doesn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, his parents start to warn him. He says this, but his father and his mother said to him, certainly you can find a wife among your relatives or among all of our people. You should not have to go down and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. But Samson said to his father, get her for me because she is the right one for me. We're headed for trouble when we pursue the very thing that God is working to remove us from. God's hand, his calling is on Samson from the beginning to, to move them out from under the rule of the Philistines. And Samson's wanting to marry in to the Philistines. He's looking to cuddle up with one of the Philistines permanently. He wants to form a bond with the very people that have oppressed his people for four decades. Who have beaten down on them. He wants to jump in bed with the enemy. He's running towards the very thing that can crush him, the very thing that can take him out. And what's the lesson here? Don't pursue what God is working to remove us from. Don't pursue it. Don't chase it down. Don't desire it. Don't look at it. Don't cuddle up to it. Don't, don't fixate on it, right? Don't fantasize about it. Don't, don't, don't grab a hold of that thing. You got to run away from that thing. That thing's got bondage wrapped up in it. It's got difficulty up in it. Don't chase the sin that God's trying to move you away from. Don't run towards it. Don't move towards it. Distance yourself. Get away from it. See, see it for what it is. Sometimes you even got to demonize that thing. Did you ever demonize something? Uh, I don't know if you've ever demonized something. Sometimes you got to demonize that very thing. You got to see it for the evil that it really is. You, you don't cuddle up to it. You, you begin to, to visualize it. I don't know if you've ever seen a demon, or a, a, I hope you haven't, actually, uh, or a picture of a demon, but it's a, it's a representation of, of the imps of hell. It, it, it's a representation of Satan and, and Satan's minions. And, and demons are hideous. They're horrible. They're evil. The, the, matter of fact, they carry, the, they carry their master's agenda to steal, to kill, and destroy. And sometimes when there's this thing that's drawing you away from God, you got to demonize that thing. You got you got to look at it and you got to say this is out to steal and to kill and destroy and you got to see it for the hideousness that it is. Truly. Now I did not say demonize people. All right? Let's get that straight, all right? Don't look at don't look at somebody sitting beside you <laughs> like picture that demonize a person. But you got to demonize the idea. You got to demonize the, the theology that goes with it. You got to demonize um, the thought that is carried with it. What, what could be the ramifications of that? You've got to look at it, demonize it, make it evil because it is, right? David Brooks wrote this in, in the New York Times in an article called When the Good Do Bad. He said this even people who contain reservoirs of compassion and neighborliness also possess a latent potential to commit murder. 
David Buss of the University of Texas asked his students if they had ever seriously thought about killing someone. And if so, to write out their homicidal fantasies in an essay. He was astonished to find that 91% of men and 84% of women had detailed, vivid homicidal fantasies. He was even more astonished to learn how many steps some of his students had taken towards carrying them out. One woman invited her ex-boyfriend, uh, an abusive ex-boyfriend, to dinner with thoughts of stabbing him in the chest. A young man in a fit of road rage pulled a baseball bat out of his trunk and would have beaten his opponent to death if he hadn't run away. Another young man planned the progression of, a, of committing murder by crushing a, of a former friend's fingers, puncturing his lungs, and then killing him. It's scary how fast our minds can pursue this sinful thing, the very thing that God's working to keep us from, embracing the thing uh, that we should be moving away from. You know, the thought of cuddling, the, the thought of cuddling up, for Samson, the thought of cuddling up to the enemy should have turned his stomach. It shouldn't have even been a thought in his head. The first time he saw that Philistine girl, he could have thought, well, she's attractive, right? He could have thought, well, she's kind of cute. But no, he should have said, no. He should have, said, he, he, should have, he should have started putting that thought out of his mind. He should have said, I'm not going there. I'm not going that direction. He should have left. He should have dismissed it. He should have caught, caught that, that thought in his heart and in his head. She represented everything that God said he was going to be against. But he didn't. We got to leave. We should see this conflict in our lives. When our head starts fixating, when our head starts, when our eyes get on something that we shouldn't be pursuing, we got, we got to give that thing over to God. When, when something contrary to God catches our eye, and that happens, it can be completely contrary to what God speaks, what he says. When it catches your eye, you need to stop it right there. You, you need to back up. You got, you got to, instead of doing what Samson did, instead of moving towards it, you got to run the other way. You got to see it for the hideousness that it is. You got to demonize it. You got to realize it's a tree. It's going to fall down and kill you, right? You got to look at it in that way. This marriage with Samson starts off bad and it ends even worse. God uses this whole mess in a way to start the rebellion against the Philistines, but it's a mess. Uh, Samson marries this woman. Uh, this Philistine girl, and, and the week of the wedding, they have a week-long celebration. Samson comes in amongst the Philistines, and, he, and at the wedding, uh, with the wedding party, he actually poses a riddle to them. He, he gives them a riddle, and, and he promises uh, that anybody that can solve the riddle at this wedding, he says, I'm going to give them 30 changes of clothing. I'm going to give them 30 robes, and I'm going to give them 30 changes of clothing. Now, that might not sound like a lot to you. It might sound like a lot to you. But back in that time, there wasn't mass production of clothing like there is now. To promise somebody 30 robes and 30 um, changes of clothing was a big deal. That was a fortune. That was a lot of money. And, and he makes, he poses this riddle. He, he, he's in the enemy's camp. He's marrying an enemy uh, girl. And, and, and he starts playing. He starts toying with him. He says, I got a riddle for you. And anybody that solves it will, will do this. And none of this, the, the, day, the week began to go on, and none of the Philistines could solve the riddle. They couldn't figure it out. But they started getting Samson's new wife to press him. They said, find out what the answer is to the riddle. And this, this Philistine girl begins to press Samson. She, he begins to press in on Samson. And she, how many know she began to work him, right? If you love me, you're going to tell me. 
And finally, at the end of the week, at, at the end of this time, she, he, she finally presses him enough and he gives up and he tells the riddle to her. And she immediately betrays him and tells the, the wedding party exactly what it is. And Samson goes off. In a fit of rage because of the betrayal, he goes down into the Philistine camp. He finds 30 men. He slays them. He kills them. He takes their clothing. He brings it back to the ones that he's promised. And he leaves right there. He leaves his, this new bride with the bride's family. He just takes off in a fit of rage. He returns sometime later to come back to get her. And then the time that he left to the time he gets back, this Philistine father gives his bride to another man to be married. And he's furious again. This is a mess. He's furious. He, he goes out. He, gets, he, he rounds up 300 wild dogs, jackals, if you know what a jackal is. He ties their tails together, and he lights a torch with each one of them, and he sends them into the grain fields of the Philistines, burning all their food supply to the ground. The Philistines are now rising up. They're now angry, and they're wondering who did this, and they find out it's Samson, and they find out he did it in retaliation before, because of what this father did with his bride. And they go up, they kill the father and all the household, and they kill Samson's new Philistine bride as well. This is what takes place. This is the mess that begins to unfold when, when you run towards what God's moving you away from. Don't pursue the sinful thought. Don't pursue what God's removing you from. Run the other direction. Turn the other way because destruction's coming behind it. And that's what began happening. God uses it. And this is not the only crack, actually, in Samson's character. This is not the only thing that we see him. Samson um, doesn't just pursue the sinful thing, but he also begins to pursue the simple thing. Say the simple thing. He pursues the sinful thing but he also begins to pursue the simple thing that he shouldn't. He, he began, uh, how many know the, super, the simple things that can get you? It's the small things that can get you. It, 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 it's the extra piece of pie, <laughs> all right? Well, you already had one, but it's the extra piece of pie that's going to get you. It's the simple thing, right? You can't get into your pants. It's because you had the extra piece of pie. You know, it's the simple thing. And in his case, it ends up being a simple thing like honey. Honey, of all things. Honey. Now, now it's not that there's something wrong with honey. I like a little honey with my oatmeal. All right? How many of you like some honey on something? All right? Yeah, all right? The problem with Samson was not that he ate some honey. It's where he got his honey from. Samson gets his honey out of a dead carcass of a lion. Is that gross? Yeah, that's desperate, all right? You got to really like honey. All right, a dead carcass of a lion, he reaches into, uh, there's a beehive in there, and he gets honey. I get my honey from Aldi's, all right? I do not go out looking for a dead carcass for honey. Let me read you the scripture. It says in Judges 14, 5, Samson went down to Timnah. Now, this is why all this is unfolding with this uh, Philistine wife. And when he approached the vineyards of Timnah, he saw a roaring lion attacking him. The Lord's spirit empowered him, and he tore the lion in two with his bare hands, as easily as one would tear a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Samson continued on down to Timnah and spoke to the girl. 
In his opinion, she was just the right one. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to see the lion's remains. He saw a swarm of bees in the lion's carcass, as well as some honey. He scooped it up with his hands, and he ate it as he walked along. Then he returned to his father and mother. He offered them some, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey out of the lion's carcass. Samson had three simple things that God instructed him not to do through his lifetime. Don't drink, don't cut your hair, and don't touch the dead thing. Simple, simple. And he pursued the simple thing. Successfully walking with God through, through this life and for us and for our families is staying and not pursuing the sinful thing and it is not pursuing the simple thing. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we got to ask the Holy Spirit to instruct us and to show us and to help us not to engage in the sinful thing, to walk away from the thing that can take us out, and the simple thing. The simple thing could be something as simple as honey. Now, that's probably not your thing, right? That's probably not going to lead you to the sinful thing. A lot of times, the simple thing can lead us to the sinful thing. But the Holy Spirit will have something for you. He'll have something that he knows that it's simple. It's not evil within itself. It's not that thing that's going to get a hold of you, that sin that you're just going to jump to, right? It's not that. It's a simple thing that is going to cause the issue. He, he, and for Samson, it was honey. That dude must have really liked honey. <laughs> to read into, reach into a dead carcass and, and eat honey. But there's a simple thing in your life that the Holy Spirit will convict us of. There's a simple thing in our life. He'll get a check in your spirit. Just stay away from that. Don't go near that. It's a tree that's going to fall and get you. And if you run towards it, right, it might not bother anybody else. It might not be an issue for anyone else. But for you, it's the simple thing that's going to lead to the sinful thing. And it'll get you. It'll get your family. It'll get everybody that's involved. Most people uh, that have an affair, Christian people that have an affair, it does not start off with them jumping into bed with somebody. It starts off with a simple thing, like a conversation online that they shouldn't be having, right? It's a simple thing. The average person doesn't uh, wake up one morning and decide, you know, I'm going to embezzle a bunch of money. It starts off with a simple thing. It starts off with lack of accountability while you're handling somebody else's finances. And you choose to continue that, right? It's the simple thing that gets you. The average person doesn't decide to kill their neighbor, right? Or, or go into road rage. It's the simple thing that can get you. Samson ignored the sinful thing and he ignored the sinful, simple, simple thing that took him out. I'm going to ask you to stand. Understand something about Samson. We're jumping around in his life. Samson was the 15th judge in Israel. He ruled the nation of Israel, and it was not for a short period of time. He ruled the nation of Israel for 20 years. He was the leader of the nation. But it was the simple thing, and it was the sinful thing that got him, because he constantly was running towards the thing that God was trying to move him away from, the very thing God was trying to deliver him from. And you can read it in Judges chapter 16, verse 4. It says this, after this, Samson fell in love with another woman named Delilah who lived in the uh, Sorig Valley. The rulers of the Philistines went to visit her and said to her, trick him. Find out what makes him so strong and how we can subdue him and humiliate him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. 
So Delilah said to Samson, tell me what makes you so strong and how you can be subdued and humiliated. And Samson said to her, if they tie me up with seven fresh bows, he lies, by the way, that he had not been dried, I will become weak just as any other man. So the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. She tied him up with them. They hid in the bedroom, and when she said to him, the Philistines are here, Samson, he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a thread of yarn snaps, and he, if you put it close to the fire. The secret of his strength was not discovered at this point. But you know what Samson kept doing? He kept cuddling up to the thing that he was supposed to be running away from, and Delilah keeps working him, And the next time he lies again and he says, well, if you just put some brand new ropes on me, then I'll be weak. And they come in, he's playing, right? He's playing. And he snaps him again. He's just playing with him. He's just messing. He's just cuddling up to it. And and then she comes to him again and she presses him again. And and she's, you know, subvertly coming in and trying to woo him again. And he says, well, no, it's actually seven braids. If you put seven braids in my hair, then I'll become like every other man. And they try, she tries it again while he's sleeping. She she braids his hair and and the Philistines come in and he overpowers them again. And he keeps cuddling up and he keeps playing with it and he keeps playing it, but she keeps working him and she keeps working him. And finally, finally, he gives in and he says, if you cut my hair, I'll be like every other man. And she cuts his hair. The Philistines come in, they take him captive, they gouge out his eyes. They put him in bronze fetters, and they tie him to a grinding mill where he spends the rest of his days like a donkey, like an ox, grinding mill for the Philistines because he kept walking towards what God was removing him from. He kept stepping closer. Only in his last day on this earth does God move on him one more time? And he, and he kills a bunch of Philistines in a Colosseum as a final act. God, and I don't know if he repented. I'm sure he did as he walked around and around and around for years. Eyes gouged out, blind, captive by the very ones he was sent to free his God. His family watched this unfold in his life. They witnessed him tied to a mill. His nation suffered because the power of God was no longer on him defending the nation. What you do in your family, you are not an island. The simple thing and the sinful thing that you walk towards, you think you're just affecting you, you're affecting everybody around you. Your family will suffer. Your family will pay the price for the sinful thing and the simple thing that you walk towards that God says you should be walking away from. It's right here in Scripture. You see it over and over and over again. So this, we're heading into Christmas. We're heading into a time that is going to be celebration. But we need to be abundantly aware. Now more than ever, in the world that we live in, there are so many things grabbing for your attention. There are so many things around you that, that want to grab all, simple things. They want to move you towards the sinful thing. The enemy knows what that is, and God knows what that is, and God will keep you from it. God's hand of protection will be upon you when you walk upon it in in his ways. But just like Israel, you start walking outside of what he says, and and, and you're walking out from under his protection. He's not leaving, you are. Amen? Sure, I'm asking you to bow your heads. I want you to take this serious this morning. And a lot of times we talk about the sinful thing, but I really want you to think about the simple thing. What's that thing for you? It's probably flashing through your mind right now. 
And, and, and I'm glad I can't read your mind, but if I could, I, I'd probably see a hundred different things up right now. And if I could listen to you online or see it online, there might be a thousand. There'd be different things that are the simple things that lead you to the sinful thing. And you got to move away from that. You got to demonize that just as much as you would the sin itself. You got to shift. You got to keep yourself in a place where you're going to walk with God and God's power and his strength is going to continue on you. What is it? What is it? If you're listening online, if you're in the house this morning, God wants to walk you through in power. Just like he did when Samson was walking with God, there was nothing that could stop him. God wants that. The word of God says if you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. That's what it says. You just got to believe that he is Lord and he is Savior. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, that he is Lord and Savior, you'll, you'll, you'll honor him in the simple thing and the sinful thing that he said to stay away from. Father, we come to you today. God, you know each person in the house, God. Uh, Lord, I pray right now that you speak to hearts and lives. Lord God, I pray that they begin to demonize not somebody, but the thing, Lord, that is the simple thing. God, that will lead to the sinful thing. God, that will crush them. Lord, that they'll walk away from that thing. God, that they'll start to step away. And Lord God, that they'll remove themselves from it. Lord, I pray, God, for each person online that's listening. God, for each person that's, Lord, around the globe listening. Lord God, I pray that you would just move on them now. And Lord God, let them deal with the, sin, the simple thing. God, there are families at stake today. There are families at stake in this. God, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. for tuning in to this message from Lifehouse Church. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.